Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. I've got a very special guest today. I told um, everybody about a format change I was doing maybe like a month ago or a couple of weeks ago. I don't even know at this point, but um, typically I bring in people all over the country and I have um, basically a podcast show um, producer that will just bring on people, agents that have invested in real estate that have really good stories. But what he said to me the other day, is he said, why don't you bring on some of your people? And I said, you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea. So um, I had, you know, my last episode was Leanne Vong, who was, uh, you know, an, an agent at our company. And now we've got the great Jason Goldfarb, uh, who also is in the same office as me, but we're in a different suite. So we we could probably... Like I could probably get to you in like 20 seconds, but let's keep everything virtual because you know how I feel about being in person. Yeah, why not? The format is good. And thanks for the thanks for the introduction. Wow, the great Jason Goldfarb. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. So <laughs> well, we we gotta play you up because if I decide to sell anything, you're gonna it's gonna be all about how you are a product of the system. You didn't do any of this yourself, you're just a product of the system. So yeah. Um, and, no, and- um, not only in the same office, but we grew up in the same hometown. That's true, actually. But but we never um, it, it was not that had nothing to do with how we got introduced or anything like that or, um, you know, our story. But, yeah, we grew up. We both grew up in Revere, Mass., the great city of uh, Revere, uh, which is one town over from Boston. So a couple of Revere products. But um, but, yeah, thanks for joining. And, um, you know, I I we know each other well enough that I could probably tell you a story, but I, I have for the listeners rather than me, tell it kind of like go back in time and, you know, tell us about when you first got into real estate. I think it was very early on, right? It was very early on. And, um, you know, geez, I wish I just kept going, but let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But <laughs> basically I, I started early on and I started doing stuff and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was doing good stuff and I, I just didn't really keep on doing it. Wait, but, but when, how old were you when you got your license? It was super young, so right? It was around 2001, um, early and in were, the- And you were what? You had to be your early 20s, right? So yeah, I was in like my 20s, um, geez, like maybe 23, 24, something like that. Yeah. And um, at the time, you know, um, I was working, my family had a pizza place on Revere Beach, which is the first public beach in America. So um, it was really busy during the summers. So I had to help out and I even worked throughout the year, but throughout the rest of the year, it was pretty slow. And I didn't want, and my reason for getting into real estate was I wanted to find a career that I didn't smell like food after work. Okay. You just want to eat the food, right? You don't want to smell like it. I'm like, oh, you know, being that age, right? Yeah. I, I was thinking, oh, after work, you get out at a little bit late, 
have to go home, take a sh- I, I stunk like food. You couldn't, I wanted to see girl. I wanted to basically hang out with friends and, and girls and stuff at 20, you know, early twenties. It's different mindset, right? Yep. So what could I do? Like, maybe I can work here a little more part time and, and, and do something else for income. And I wasn't really thinking about investing. I was thinking about broke, just yep. let me get my license. And um, that's what I did. I got my license. I joined a local real estate uh, national franchise right here on Broadway in Revere. It was the number one brokerage at the time. What do I know? I'm like, oh, let me go to the number one brokerage. Knowing what I know now, the split was like nothing. But you want to know something? It was was education, right? Um, So I started just doing it. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just started. And they had, at the time, they had what was called uptime. So the phone would ring. And if you were on uptime, you would get the call. And I remember, like, one of my first listings was a gentleman called and said, hey, how do I get up a sales sign on my front lawn? And they don't get easier <laughs> than that. I went uh-huh. right over. It was, like, right around the corner. And, and that was one of my first listings. And uh, one of my first buyers all happened relatively quick. And I'm like, wow, this is great. And then I realized, no, it's a lot. So it, it seemed that it was like kind of luck in a way. And then yeah. I realized how much work goes into it. That's crazy. Like thinking back, I mean, I bet you will, you know, I don't know this to be true because I wasn't even in real estate in 2001, 2002, but I would imagine a lot of deals got done that way. Like the local, the big local office, people are just calling the phone book. Like that's, that's <laughs> crazy. Um, now, Again, this is only because I know your story, but was that after you did that first listing, was that when you went out and bought the Corvette or is this a later date? No, no. So, so I get my tastes, I make, you know, commission check. I'm like, wow, 20, 23 years old. That's pretty good money. Oh yeah. But then, um, I start realizing some of the, you know, the other agents in the office are working with investors and I'm like, geez, they're, they're, they make this look like, you know, kids play money. But yep. what they were doing in some of the developments and things like that. So I'm like, how can I get into it? And I really, I got to be honest, I didn't really study up as much as I should have. But a deal came across my plate. It was an, it was an, it was an okay deal. It was a good deal. But it, I didn't, I, I wouldn't have known the difference really. It mm. was pizza deliverer at my pizza place I worked at wanted to sell his house that had two units in it. And it was off market and there would be no commission involved. And he would give me, he was giving me a little bit of a discount. So I went forward and I bought the house as like, kind of like an owner occupant loan to get in. I was going to house hack. Mm-hmm. And, um, so this is around August or July of 2001, you know, closing takes a while. Guess what happened right before my closing? Somebody died. Yeah. A lot of people died. September 11th. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm supposed to close by four days after September 11th. Everything's all set and done. How do you think I felt at that closing? Did you, did you do it? Yeah, I did it. Oh, you did it. Yeah. It's one of the best things I've ever did, but I almost didn't do it. Yep. Cause you can understand. And I mean, recently we just had COVID happen. I had a lot of houses during COVID that we thought about not buying. Exactly. And, and, and it would have been the good thing to buy them. Right. And, oh, but, but you don't know, you don't, we don't, 
no matter how long we've been doing this, we don't really know 100% what's going to happen, right? Yep. My first deal, September 11, 2001, just happens. I think I closed on the 15th of September. Mm-hmm. It ended up be, being a short-term flip. And at the end of the day, I made almost $100,000. And you can imagine the mistake I made is not pushing and I bought the Corvette. So you got, <laughs> I bought the Corvette. I, let me take it a little. So you get money, right? And one of the biggest mistakes I think sometimes people make is they take it a, a little easy instead of doubling down and, and, and trying to do more. Well, that's the, that's the classic real estate agent thing, right? Like you, you work really hard, you do a deal, then you get a big payday, then you relax and then you start worrying, oh, I don't have a deal. Then you start working hard again. And it's like, it doesn't ever end. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I did that and that was my first taste in, in real estate investing. And, um, from there, I really built my brokerage, started doing some more sales, learning a little bit more. And it took me a long time to do my next deal. Your next like brokerage deal or your investing deal? Investment deal. Yep. So, um, what happened is eventually I got, I hook, you know, and it all comes down to teaming up with people that are doing things that I want to do and that are much more successful to me. And I had no idea. So what I did is I became an auction runner. Yep. I don't know if if you know this. I don't know if I told you this part, but this is when the first, after the first crash just had happened, 2009, I think around there. Wait, wait, you you just skipped like 10 years. I know. So for the, so um, I told you, I, I did good in the beginning. I was doing mostly brokerage for the next 10 years, working for my pizza place, yep. doing all the, doing everything the wrong way. Yep. I'm young. Including I, making the pizzas the wrong way too, or you were making no, the right? Pizzas were coming out all right, actually. Okay. <laughs> a lot of the profits, that was a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm working the family business. Um, so at around, around, around 2006, 2007, we sold the business. So now I, I, I had to do something. I had to. So for the first year, not wanting to give up what I'd known in my whole life is I bought a food stand and operated it. That <laughs> I, I did not know. So it was a simple food stand. It was right next to where my family business was. It was called Simply Seafood and Grill. I, I sold fried clams and stuff. I was like trying to compete with Kelly's roast beef. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, I realized this isn't what I really want to do. I really want to do real estate. So then I started doing, um, I hooked up with some really experienced investors that were going to auctions and they needed help. And I worked with them as an auction runner. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot. And then I bought my first few houses at auction. So for those for the people who aren't familiar with what an auction runner is, um, so basically, and this is state-specific thing, uh, I know this isn't true in every state, but in Massachusetts, when there is an auction, um, bank forecloses, they do the auction, and the auction is held outside of the house. So in order to bid on the house, this and again, this varies state by state, but you actually have to travel to that house, stand outside of that house at that specific time, hope that the auction doesn't get canceled, they get canceled a lot, hope that the bank doesn't buy it back, 
but essentially you were bidding on behalf of somebody else, right? Correct. And at the time, there was a ton of auctions. So there could be four or five auctions at any given hour on the hour. Yep. So like you just said, you can go to most of them were like stupid. The bank would open up at a ridiculous price and no one would even it would be like, ah, what a waste of time. So who I was working for figured, hey, how can we be at every auction on the hour? Yep. Because not everyone could and all would be taken. Hey, I'm at an auction with maybe one or two people because everyone was somewhere else. And we would, it's a part of it is luck. Part of it is just, it was the plan. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's luck if you show up to like one out of the five and you're at the right one. But if you're, if you're able to come up with a team that's at everyone, then it's not luck anymore because you're giving yourself the opportunity to, to bid. Yeah. We've gotten, I mean, we haven't bought a house in auction in almost 10 years now, just because of how the market has changed. But some of those houses, I mean, it didn't make sense what they were selling for. They were selling so discounted and the banks back then had, I don't know if they had no clue. Like, I don't even know what the thinking was, why they took some back. Yeah. I think when it first happened, they were so against like trying to even do short sales or negotiate with people that they just, they got to a point where eventually they realized this is the way we have to do it. And then, then short sales became more common and, you know, they may be coming back. I mean, we're getting into a different market now. And again, every, everything is completely different, but we're getting into a market now where we're going to see some of that distressed stuff come back from COVID and, I mean, again, I don't know 100% what's going to happen, but all those uh, forbearances and things like that, that might become another way that investors are finding properties. Like we could find, and back then you could find deals on the MLS and you could find deals at auction. But that yeah. over the past, what, five, six, maybe even more, very, very difficult to find a deal in those avenues. So I think one thing that, you know, like, to, so did you do that on purpose? Like, for example, like, did you team up with those investors? Was that a strategic thing to say, oh, I can learn the business, I can get educated? Or was that just like, almost like luck that you did it and then realized after the fact that that's how you got educated? It was actually two things. One, I wanted in, I needed income. And it was there was some guaranteed income there plus bonus. Mm-hmm. And two, I did want to learn. Okay. So yeah, I was just more curious, like, did you, was it like strategic or did you kind of like bump into it? And I, I know the people, you know, that he's talking about and the people he's talking about, cause me and him have had the conversation, you know, they're, they're people that have been in our market doing it. It seems like forever, you know, we've been doing it for 15 years. You've been doing it for like 20, they've been doing it for like 40. Right. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, another just kind of key takeaway is like, how can you get around the people who you want to learn from? And you got paid to do it. I mean, people pay. Think about this. Like me and you both pay for real estate coaching. We pay yep. to be around other people. You figured out a way at a young age to get paid to be around the people that you wanted to be around. Right. And I think that's something that it's almost one of those like cheat codes that like, if you can figure out a way to do that, I mean, that's worth its weight in gold. So, so you saw what they were doing. You saw how they were buying. And again, you still had your real estate license this whole time, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So then where was the point where you were like, you know, okay, mentor, like I'm pushing you out of the way and I'm just going to start buying up all your inventory. I know, so, it didn't, I know it didn't happen like that, but it didn't like that at all. Right. Because I want to make it seem more dramatic for the, I, I punched in the face. All right. When trying, not, not literally, but when I went out on my own, I learned and, and you know what, at the end of the day, I wouldn't change anything, but I went out and I went and bought stuff and things weren't easy. I, you, I didn't make the money. I thought sometimes we lost money. Yeah. And, um, no, you know, just doing like, I would be out there, like literally like planting plants in the ground and painting myself and, and things like that. And, you know, to make the deal work, because I did, did not know what I did not know as far as how much of a spread you really needed and things like that. So, but it was a great experience. We bought a few, it was overall, it was successful. Yeah. And I had some, I had some help from partners, family and things like that, but eventually that kind of dissolved, you know, amicably with whatnot. We just went on and went different things. People were moving away. So um, I got back, I got back into brokerage and, you know, fast forward like four or five years. That's when I met you. Mm -hmm. And at the time you had just really started to like get the traction going with the brokerage side of your business here. Yeah. I think when I joined, there might've been, 20 to 40 agents. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it was just an opportunity. We hit it off. And I'm like, I don't know if you remember, but I was just like, hey, if there's anything I could do to, I want to help. I don't care. I I don't, it doesn't matter about money or this or that. I want to help. I mean, I want to learn. I want to help. And you did give me an opportunity to go out on some appointments from your marketing. Yep. So there's another way that I was able to learn quite a bit in a different avenue, right? Because marketing off market for sellers is something I had no idea. I I I knew about it, but I had no I I never was personally involved. Yeah. And and that was like what happened with us is like we we were buying houses the way you guys were buying houses. Every you know, everybody kind of like copies each other. Like so, you know, we were buying properties at auction. We bought some on the MLS. We were doing it that way. And then I remember there was like all of a sudden, like it was like, I don't know if it was 2013 or 14. It was like somewhere around there where it was like, oh man, there's no more foreclosures left on the MLS. Or the ones that were left were getting like super bitted. And I remember going to, um, it was a Fan Merrill. It was a Fan Merrill three-day seminar. And I remember sitting there and they were talking about like Kent was there, Kent Clothier, who I know you're obviously in his coaching program now. And, and all he used to say is, the more you mail, the more money you make. And I remember thinking like, what the hell is this guy talking about? And um, that's what he kept saying. He was like, you know, how much do you want to make? And, you know, people would say like, okay, you need to mail this much. So we started mailing in a very like light way, you know, probably in like 2014, 2015. And mailing worked really well then because nobody was doing it. Like it's, it's like almost hard to fathom today because now everybody mails and, and not only do people mail, but people, you know, they run all different types of campaigns to get in front of sellers and they have all these like different marketing tools, but like you would send a hundred mailers and you'd get an appointment. Oh yeah. And, that's crazy. 
yeah, it was, it was absolutely crazy. And I remember like, there was a time where like, you know, a town near us, it's like a good, really good, like flip area is uh, the city of Lynn. And I remember we did like the whole city. And I remember thinking it was like a big deal. And within like three weeks, we had like four deals and we couldn't even buy them all. So we had to wholesale two of them. And I remember thinking like, this is like the best thing in the world. But then, you know, more people started doing it, whatever. Um, but yeah, so you you came what here. What a difference. What's that? Only seven years, right? I mean, what a difference. It's a very short amount of time that things that used to work can change. They still work, but they just work at a different level of success, right? Well, I think the biggest thing that's changed, in my opinion, if I had to name one thing, is like the business went from being like an old boys network, which like you were like a part of, like like with the people you worked with. And it was just like these people who like knew people and they showed up at auctions or like they knew a bunch of real estate agents or like they were like the big deal and like deals almost like came to them. And it was like a very like unprofessional business. Like it wasn't like a, it, it, what, it was totally, I, I don't, when I say unprofessional, I don't mean that in like a negative way. I just mean like it it wasn't run with like systems. It was just like, a, you know, a guy that like, you know, does this. And there were like, there were plenty of them that that did really well. And they, they like, they you wouldn't even say they had businesses today. Like if you looked at how they operated, it was like two partners or one partner and like one assistant. And it's like, now we have all these like, structures and multiple people that work in the business. And it's just become like so much more of a, if you don't have the professional part of the business now, it's like, you can't even compete today. Yeah. And I mean, what they were doing and they, and they still do successfully in that. In fact, I've talked to you about this before is relationship marketing. Yeah. And, or, and, and now they have a system in a franchise that literally puts this into a process. And it's basically like just, keeping in touch with a ton of agents and brokers about, you know, and you do it too. Like, Hey, you know, that's, if there's a deal that you can't sell retail, let's try to work together. Yeah. I've never, I've never been that good at that. Cause that, that takes a lot of effort. That still works. Definitely. Um, yeah. So you got here, you know, you started to take some appointments. Um, you know, you started to, to get back into the, to the selling mode. And then kind of like at, at that point, were you like thinking you were going to do investing again, get back into investing? Like, what was your thought? So I think I was working with you for about a little, a year, a little over a year. We were at an event and I said to you, I think I want to try to do it. Yeah. You said, I'll never forget. You said, you absolutely should. You know, you know that you can close these appointments because you've done it. Yeah you know, on, right. on the gone out on. And you said to me, when I started mailing, I had no idea I could ever close one. <laughs> no. And, and, and I still like looking back, like the fear factor of like showing up on an appointment, like not knowing what you were like. I, so not only did you, um, had you closed a bunch, but you also had a lot more sales experience than I did period. Like I was showing up, like not really knowing much about sales. I had to kind of force myself to learn it or otherwise I was going to lose money. So it was like, 
it was kind of like trial by fire for me. But yeah, so then you started to spend uh, money on marketing. And no, get- no, here's the oh, kicker. Here's the kicker. And you know this more than anyone. You told me to do it. It took mm-hmm. me a whole year, a whole year before I took action. Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Agent Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, It's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. So a year goes by so fast now that like, I don't even remember it taking that long. It, It seemed to me to be like instantaneous, but like I'm losing track of time now. So like, what were you thinking during the whole year? I gotta do this. I'm ready now. I'm gonna do it. I'm going to uh, uh, hold on. All right, let's go. Let's let's get ready to do it again. It's it got minds, right? We, we talk. I heard you talk about this before and I hear about it a lot in my group with Kent and and whatnot is our mind has fear in it. But yes. the fear can't distinguish between a real threat and something that's like, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? Really nothing. If I mail and it doesn't work, I lose some money. Yeah, our, our brains don't have the ability to tell whether or not like someone's trying to kill us or whether we might like lose a thousand dollars on a mailer. Like it, so, our brain is telling us it's the same thing. It's the same thing. So the hesitation was the fear. And I think at the end of the day, though, like if you just however long it takes, everyone's on a different timeline and Really don't compare yourself to other people and other uh, what, what others are going on. Just work on what you got, you got going on. So we met, I met um, another agent here um, at Cameron who was doing similar things. Mike, you know, Mike. Yep. And to, uh, we alleviated the fear by let's do this together. <laughs> two, two very like, you know, I mean, Mike is like a beast. He's like built up like crazy. So oh, two- yeah. Two 40-year-old guys. Well, he's younger, but yeah, I'm... I'm well, he's he's not... I, I mean, what he, he, he's he got to be close to 40. But basically, two 40-year-old guys, supposed yep. to be tough. You were you were the captain of the football team, right? Yeah. So we got the captain of the football team. Mike is built like a linebacker. He, he, he must have... If he didn't play football, then I don't know what to say. You guys had... You, you had to, like, sit down, hold hands together, and, like, all right, we're going to be brave and do this. Yeah, and (laughs) think about that for a second. Right? Think about for a second, right? Like it sounds silly, but knowing what we learned from you, like the commitment you needed to, like, all right, we need a we need a commitment. We had to commit for the whole year of mailing, whether we got any. 
So it was a significant amount of money that we had to, hey, this is gone. Burn the bridges. If we don't, if this doesn't work, we're done. That's, that's it. <laughs> I know. I'm making light of it, though, because like we have like like two guys, you know, you know, not that either of you are really tough guys, but just it's it's kind of like hilarious, like in a way like they get to lose money or, or just scared to do it. So we'll do it together. And it worked out, right? So we, our first mailer went out like February and we had our first deal signed up by like end of March, early April. Yeah. And then that's, you know, for mailing, that's really quick results because, you know, like there's, there's pros and cons to all different forms of marketing. But one of the problems with mailers is like, you're reaching out to somebody. It doesn't mean that they're ready. Exactly. And I, and when I would go on appointments um, on, on your behalf, there would be sometimes people would pull out and they'd have a stack of your letters. Yeah. And they were, they were trying to say, I've been waiting, waiting for the right time. They would, they would really literally say, I've been waiting for the right time. Now's the time. It's really right place, right time. And that's when, you know, I did a mailing class yesterday and it's like, you have to be in their mailbox on the day they're thinking about it. That's the tough part because if you're not and somebody else is, you could have mailed them a hundred times and you've gotten deals where like you've, you've gotten them from your mailer and you've mailed them a lot less, but I've mailed them more, but it's like, you happen to be, I mean, it, it could have been that you were in the mailbox the right day, or it could have been that they just liked how your letter or your postcard looked more or who knows whatever, you know, they it think. First mailer to this guy, it was on the wrong house. He had another house in an area we weren't even targeting that we ended up buying. We mailed him on a house he owned in Salem, Mass., but he ended up having another house out, up, way up on the North Shore in a town I would have never mailed, mm-hmm. uh, Raul. Yeah. And, um, and then that ended up being our first fix and flip. I didn't even know you did a deal in Raleigh. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're learning. We, we, we're still, we always can learn new things, but... Um, one of the things that I think helped us, and they're they're still out there, is when we we chose to mail. And I know that this every piece to it is important. We found a company that kind of put it all together for us, and we knew we were spending the premium, but it was we got to get this right. Mm. So when we signed up, they had a they had a CRM, they had the answering service, they had the ISAs, in addition to the mail and the list. They did all. It was an all in one. I know. And that's the part that like, it's kind of, you, you do have to have all those things working. Um, if you're going to mail for that because of you, but I also know I can't starting out, I can't hire a, a, you know, a calling service and ISA. I, I couldn't, we couldn't start out like that. So we did the next best thing, I believe. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't even have those services when we started. So I just had to, I, I acted in every capacity, really, on the sales side and the ISA side and whatever in the beginning. Um, so you're in a coaching program now. Um, I always, I, you know, I'm a big advocate of of coaching. And how long have you been in that one? And like, what would, what would you kind of say about people that are, are thinking about getting into something like that? Again, it was a big commitment. When last year, right around last year, around this time was when we first joined and we just renewed. So if that tells you anything. 
big commitment, big money. It isn't easy. We got to travel a lot. Um, and we renewed. So the first year, within within a few months, we picked up not a, a tactic that got us almost a three times return on our investment. Yeah. And this isn't a little investment, by the way. Yeah. Well, um, that's the thing, though. Like, I think with with real estate investing, the, the numbers are always so big. You know, to, to say, oh, I did a deal and I made six figures, it's really not that uncommon of a thing. So it's like, you know, you can get that sort of return. Yeah. And um, our mastermind group is nationwide. So our biggest concern going in is there's no one really here from New England. There are now. But when we join, we're like, can this can this help us? Can this work for us? Like having that like kind of limited mindset and, and like, oh, like they're doing because where else they were doing a lot more deals, but the spreads on them were smaller, like 10, 15,000, but they would do, you know, 20, 10 of them a month, yeah. you know? And in our market, as you know, you know, typically you're not going to do as many, but the spread is, could be, could be high. They could be more profitable. It's really interesting though. Cause like I've been in a lot of different programs and, you know, I try to talk to everybody I can about this stuff. It's so similar how everybody runs the operations. Yeah, there can be some differences, but I mean, it's really like 80 to 90% the same, no matter what market you're in. Um, there's some there's some different strategies that might work a little bit better in some markets, but if you're talking about just like fixing and flipping or wholesaling, it's typically almost all the same type of stuff that that works and I mean, I just love, you know, with those things, you know, everybody's kind of doing the same stuff, but then you hear like one strategy, one thing you can implement. And that one thing, you know, can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, you know, it's just like, it's like, wow, like that one small thing. And like the the group that I'm in, um, you know, I, I accounted, I, I think we probably made an extra half a million dollars because of it. Um, in 2020, um, just based on like little things that we tweaked or, you know, software that we implemented or whatever. So, um, so you're still actively, very actively selling. So we talked a lot about investing. <clears throat> what would you say to like agents that they're having a hard time grappling with the idea? Like I can invest and I can being agent at the same time. Yeah. Um, so let's rewind a little bit. For in order for me to be able to get into investing, I had to figure a way I could scale my brokerage business and I needed help. So that's around the time I made I I, I got a I got a transaction coordinator. Right. But then yeah. after I made my first hire. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without getting the brokerage stuff squared away because my mind wouldn't have been able to, I, I wouldn't have been able to like, Oh, I, I got to abandon this somewhat to do this. I don't think I would have done that. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So I had the brokerage going and I was, I was again, very scared to hire someone. And at, at first I hired them part time, but then something had happened where I wasn't really ready. I didn't think I was ready for a full time, but they were ready to, find something full-time 
because their other job, whatever, they were leaving it and they needed full time. So I either had to say, all right, you can do full time or I might let them have to let them go. Knew it was the right person. And I was like, all right, I got to burn the ships. So I, I committed to go full time. And because of that, I was able to we form a team and I was be able to get some systems and processes in place on the brokerage side. Yeah. So um, that was really what enabled me to like, all right, free myself to then get to the point where, all right, partner up, let's go and and, and try to hunt for deals through direct mail. And so like the the year before, I mean, you probably don't know these exact numbers, but the year before you hired, you know, your full-time administra- administrative person, how many retail brokerage deals do you think you did that year? I do kind of remember. So I went from about, 20 to then halfway through, I had hired her part-time. So that year I went up to like 30, 35. Then the year after it was like 50. And then the year after I almost got to a hundred. And, and was that in part because you hired her? I got to believe. Yeah. Well, I was part, I hired her in part. I, I, uh, I just started growing processes and systems as well as hiring and not making another key hire and yeah. bringing in some team members. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, um, you know, like I, the way I look at, you know, we've talked a lot about like basically quick turn investing, like flipping and assigning and wholesaling, whatever. I just look at all the stuff, like what's your highest dollar per hour, you know? Um, and if you hired a transactional person, that absolutely is going to get you returned because you're hiring somebody, let's call them 25 to 35 an hour, right? At, if you're paying them pretty well and whatever they're taking off your plate, if you're investing, I mean, you're in the hundreds of dollars per hour for sure. So it's yeah, really no, a no brainer. So all this stuff is important. You need to have your paperwork in order. You need to have the marketing set up, right? But you, you can't just abandon it. So not only, so you're taking the bandwidth from your life away to have to do that stuff as well as prospect and, and get the business and service the clients. So by taking that away, what you realize is not only it's the, it's the bandwidth, even if you could do it, it's not the right way to do it because everyone only has so much energy and bandwidth. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's where I think like it's, we, we have so many hours in a day, but we actually have even less hours than, than we think because it's like, how many good out focus hours do we have? You know, if, if we say we're going to work like eight hours per day, well, even out of those eight hours, like when are we eating? When are we going to the bathroom? When are we doing this? When we, like we really only have probably like half that time. So if you have like four hours and two of them, you're doing like paperwork. Now it's like you only have two hours to do like high income producing activities. And then it's very easy to, you know, maybe you get tired from doing the paperwork. So you don't do the high income producing activity or whatever. Um, yeah, know, I, just, and I, I hear about agents saying I work 24 seven, they go crazy. They do everything. And I don't, for a while, I'm like, wow, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. And then I'm like, they are, they are stressed out beyond max. They are, they have successful business. I, I met a ton of them, uh, successful business, but on, on the inside, they were ready to crack. Like they literally did not have a moment to do anything else, but real estate. 
But this is the thing that like, I, I feel like, you know, this is almost like why I created the agent investor model and like, okay, what, what is it safe to say, like what percentage of agents that get their license, get into it for freedom and flexibility? Like, what would you say? Like the percentage? I would say almost all of them. Almost all, right? Like, like, yeah, I'm, there are probably some, you know, I can make money and I don't have a boss. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Freedom, flexibility, money. And then like, okay, if you're not successful, that's bad. But then if you're successful and you're doing it the wrong way, you've literally created like the exact thing that you don't want, which is like, at least you don't have a boss. And that's how they, and and I would, and and that's how they would like justify it. At least I'm working for myself. So the only thing I would say to that is yeah, you don't have like one boss, but you have multiple bosses. And a lot of agents, because they don't invest and because they don't systematize their business, like they're working always with a couple of clients that they hate. Like at least if you have like one boss and you like your boss, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, I don't like having a boss, but you know, they're nice. They're my friend, whatever. But if you're working with like 20 clients and you hate 10 of them, it's like, and then you're working, you know, seven days a week. I mean, I love working as much as the next person, but it's like, I like to work because I know I woke up today and said, okay, do I have to come to the office today? No, but I'm choosing to. And even though that's just like a small thing, like that's, that's where I kind of like, I feel like the investing comes in because it allows you to be able to do that. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're just happier being able to know that this is a choice and you have control and it's, you're not stressed out. So as we go forward and and figure things out, and now I know you're big on this and I'm trying to figure it out too. I I was talking to Mike, we we were saying the other day that we're trying to figure out our life. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing with like investing, right? Like everybody, like, I feel like the people who aren't, who don't start, it's like, they feel like they have to know, like, the final answer before like they start. And I had another, you know, person on here, you know, who, who was at Cameron. And we talked about the fact that um, like, you're always just revising. You're always revising. You're always like, I mean, I know like you bought that multifamily in Salem and then you sold it, right? Like at the moment you bought it, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. And then you're like, okay, this is actually isn't what I'm going to do. But you're always refining. And, and the thing I would always say to everybody is like, if you're always refining like that, and I say this to Bill, my partner, because sometimes he gets negative. And I go, you can't look at what happened today. I go, have our lives improved over a three-year period? And if, if you can say yes emphatically to that, then you're, you're, you're going in the right direction. You might have like a small hiccup. But like, if you look at, and I know where your business was three years ago, like your business is in a much better position today than it was three years ago. And then you look three years before that, way better than that, right? So it's all we can do. So, and now our focus, my focus is really trying to create more more passive income. Yeah. And um, that's what you realize because here's what I realized. The brokerage is great. You can make a great living. If you are, if you are a good agent, you're never going to be broke. Nope. And if you're a wholesaler or an investor, it's still a job though. It's even, you're leveled up. 
It's, 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 only, it's only higher paid per hour, but it's the same thing. Correct. If you stop, it stops. Yep. Unless you, unless you, you could bring in systems though and, and manage it, but you still have to, if you're not working on your business, it's not growing. It might be able to maintain. But then the next level is really getting into um, apartment buildings, rental income, uh, real estate, whether it be commercial or, or whatnot. And I know you're doing a lot of that now. And that is really the key, in my opinion, in real estate, the pinnacle where everyone wants to get to. I want to own a beautiful 100 unit building under one roof. I think a lot of people think that when they start, but never really can make the plan to get to that, get into something like that. Yeah. But it's an evolution and it's like, you know, you got to keep taking steps and then all of a sudden one day you're there. Um, all right. Well, I get a hard stop. I actually have, um, a webinar after this. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah. well, thanks for having me on. I hope, uh, I hope my story inspires someone else that, you know, if, uh, if these guys who come from Revere <laughs> can make it, I mean, anyone could do it. I'm not any, I'm not special at all. I think, I think the key is you just got to take action, even if you don't know what the heck you're doing. And I wouldn't recommend it exactly, but try to learn a little bit. But the most important thing is, is to get started and, and do something. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. And guys, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Agent Investor Podcast. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to the Agent Investor Podcast. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.